0: If you got a Bible, um, might as well open it. So open your open open the Word to First John. We're going to spend a little time there this morning. We're going to pop back into this series for one week, and then pop back out for about four or five, and hit a series at the beginning of the year. Then come back to First John, finish it up, and then hit the Ten Commandments sometime in the spring. And so it's going to be a that's just kind of where we're headed. But this morning we want to take a look at First John chapter four together. Um, so if you've got a Bible, turn there with me. 1 John chapter 4, where we left off, uh, was in verse 13. So that's where we're going to pick up reading together and read down through verse 21. It'll be on the screen, by the way, if you don't have it in front of you. So you can just follow along there. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 says, By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the the, the love that that God has for us, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, one of my earliest childhood memories was a terrifying encounter with a rodeo clown. I can remember my parents taking me to the rodeo at Burton Coliseum there in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Um, I was probably maybe four or five years old and we walk into the Colosseum and we walk up into the stands and they've got the dirt floor and they've got all the animals out there Uh, and so they you know they 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 they, we, we find our seats and during the the show that they're putting on I decided to kinda wander down to the railing kinda right there toward the front and so um, at, at one point during the rodeo you know all the clowns come out they start running around the Coliseum and then they've got the you know the bulls out there running and the clowns are running from the bulls and the clown comes and I'm standing at the railing and he jumps up at the railing right there where I was right in my face and I can remember just bursting into tears. My mom had to come. My hands were just gripping that railing so hard. My parents had to pry me away from the railing and comfort me and console me for years of therapy and counseling, right? It was a terrifying encounter. Maybe that's why I'm still afraid of clowns to this day, right? Some of you are like, yeah, clowns are pretty creepy, right? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, I was thinking about a clown that we saw this past summer at VBS and he was quite creepy, right? Dun, Duncan was dressed up in this big clown costume there for VBS and it was a creepy... I, was just, I had to stand at the sound booth and kind of gate the doors and just take a picture from the back because it just freaked me out, man. Clowns. But that was one of my earliest childhood memories, right? And all of us have those childhood fears that we can look back on and remember, can't we? Right? I remember as a child as well being afraid of the dark. Okay? Every little shadow that was in my room I thought was some apparition that had come to like, eat me. Right? I was afraid of heights. Anything taller than I was, I was terrified to climb up on it. Right? We have, I, had, I had a fear as a child as well of public speaking. I was terrified of public speaking as a child. Uh, I, there were book reports that I refused to turn in because I would have to stand in front of the class and, re- and read it. And so I just took an F, right? Just go ahead and give me the F in the grade book because I'm not going to do it. I'm so terrified of being in front of people and opening my mouth. We all have, some of you are like, man, it's shocking because you can't seem to shut it when you get in front of people these days, Right? We all have those childhood fears that remem- we remember, but as we grow, those fears change, don't they? We still have fears, but they just change. They, they grow with us and sometimes become more and more significant and they become more and more paralyzing at times as well as we grow. When you think about from moving from that, those early childhood fears into like later grade school and you begin to wrestle with the fear of approval and acceptance from your peers. Right? Will I be accepted by the right crowd? Will they, will they approve of me? Will they accept me? Will I be in, in, in with them? Right? And so that fear of not being popular, that fear of not being accepted. Some of us may struggle with the fear of failure. Those of you who are students may struggle with the fear of failure in school. Will I make the right grades so I can get into the right university, so I can get the right education, so I can get the right job, so I can live in the right neighborhoods. So we've we have a fear we're paralyzed of failure in school some of us are fa- f- fear of failing in the eyes of our parents right because for some of us our parents still the things they said to us as children whenever they said you'll never amount to anything we're set out to prove them wrong and any we are we, fearful of failing to prove them wrong or we have a fear of failure in the workplace or even in, as parents We have a fear of not being a good mom or being a good dad, of of raising up our children the way they should go so that whenever they are old, they shall not depart from it. Am I being faithful and responsible with these responsibilities? God give me the full weight of it. And we're terrified of that at times. Some of us have a fear of change, anything different, anything new. Like, I just like the way things have always been. Can't we just keep them that way? Everything is safe there. Right? And so we're afraid of change. Or maybe we're afraid of being insignificant or having an inconsequential life, just an ordinary life. See, as we change, our, as we grow, our fears don't go away, they just change. They just morph. They just shift and they can become paralyzing. But I want you to consider something. In every one of these fears that I've mentioned this morning, every single one of them, what we're afraid of underneath those fears are the judgments of other people. Right, In our fear of failure, sometimes in our fear of change or in our fear of being accepted or in our fear of being approved of or our fear of being insignificant. What we're afraid of most is what, how we would judge ourselves when we look in the mirror and how others would judge us whenever they look at us. And that's what paralyzes us, is those judgments that others would render upon us. And some people live under the weight of those fears, they live under the weight of those fears and they can't seem to break free from them. And so as we enter into 2019, I want to ask you a question. What if 2019 was a year of no fear for you? A year in which fear began to recede like floodwaters, right? It just began to recede and go back into the proper channels and banks and it was no longer flooding the shores of your life. What if 2019 was a year of no fear And if it's gonna be that, here's what I wanna ask you to to consider this morning is this. Is that if you're gonna move into 2019 and have a year with no fear of approval or acceptance or failure or change, here's what you've gotta understand, is that for many of us in the room, we fear the wrong thing. And that's why we cannot seem to break free from these fears. See for many, John, listen in the text that I just read to you, John is making an assumption. He's making an assumption about the fear that exists in the hearts of people. And he assumes something in the text that I don't think is the experience of many in modern Western culture because what he assumes listen to verses 17 and 18 he says by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment and then further into verse 18 he says there's no fear in love but perfect love cast out fear for fear has to do with punishment see john assumes that for sinful fallen human beings that there is a fear of future punishment at the day of judgment that's his assumption That he's riding with that's the assumption that he's operating with but listen that is an assumption that modern western people have set on the shelf because modern western people are more afraid of the judgments of men than they are of the judgment of God and if we're going to move into 2019 and have a year of no fear then we've got to come to grips with the fact that many of us fear the wrong thing. We fear the judgments of men rather than fearing the judgment of God, right? Now some of you are like, man, this is two weeks in a row you've talked about judgment. Like what's wrong with you? Don't you know we're in a civilized society where we're fine and cultured? But listen, I'm telling you that unless you come to grips with the the assumption that John makes in this text, you will continue to be paralyzed by all these other lesser fears. See, John's, the the Bible speaks of this day of judgment. It speaks of it quite often. And in fact, one of the ways it's referred to in the Scriptures is as the day of the Lord. And, And actually, shorthand for that in other places in the Bible is just that day, or in that day. In fact, those phrases show up 226 times in the Old Testament. 18 times the day of the Lord is referenced. 208 times that day shows up in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to give you all 226, but I am going to give you three. Because I want you to feel the weight of the the perspective with which John is writing about the prospect of a future judgment that many of us have set aside. Listen to how Isaiah describes it in Isaiah chapter 13 when he says this in verses 9 and following. Behold, the day of the Lord comes Cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will rise or will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless." John says, Light will be stamped out, and I'll make the land of desolation, destroy sinners. He says, I will put an end to the, all those who are arrogant and to the pride of those who are ruthless in their dealings with other people, other individuals. See, the day of the Lord is a day in which God would come to judge, God would come to set things right. You find it described elsewhere in Zephaniah chapter 1. This is a pretty graphic description, so buckle your seatbelts, right? Verses 14 and following in Zephaniah 1 says, "...that the great day of the Lord is near. It's near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter." The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on all mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of His jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. It's a pretty graphic description. Think of the dust blowing across a dry, parched, desolate, drought-stricken land. He says that's what your blood will be like. It'll be vaporized into dust. He says, your flesh will be turned into dung. You know what that is? Right? Feces. Alright? There'll be a stench to it. It'll be foul. He says, that's, what, that's the day of the Lord as He comes to judge. And then in Isaiah chapter 2. Remember, these are just three of the texts. Let's show up there. Isaiah chapter 2. Listen to what Isaiah says. He says, the haughty man... The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, it shall be brought low, against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, and against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the beautiful craft. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day." And the idols shall utterly pass away. And the people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty when He rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. He says, listen, they're going to flee to the holes of the ground and the caves of the mountainsides trying to escape this great judgment that's falling upon them. They're going to pay, try to pay for entrance to the moles. They're going to give their idols of silver to the bats in the caves. They're going to give their idols of gold saying, let me in. Trying to escape this judgment that is falling because in that day, he says, all the the mountains, the high peaks are going to be crushed. And in that day, everything that looks stable and firm and solid and rooted and immovable will be brought low as the pride of men is destroyed. As you saw elsewhere, that not even their silver and gold is going to be able to buy them out of God's judgment on that day, no matter how wealthy they are. Now some of us think, man, man, a little intense but here's that's 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 what underlies John's assumption that for fallen sinful people there is a future prospect of punishment that elicits fear in their hearts because the day of the lord is coming a day in which he comes to make everything right to reconcile every account To judge the world now for those of us who live in modern society we think well judgment is a little primitive right but here's let me just push back on that for a second I want you to consider this if you look around at the world around you right now all of us all of us in this room would say that the world that is is not the world we want the world that is is not the world that we want and listen if if we're going to arrive at the world that we want, then the world that is must be dealt with. Right? So if we're going to get to what we want, then what is must be done away with. Right? In the same way... In the same way that if you go in for cancer treatment and they put you on chemo and radiation, if you want a healthy body, then you take that medication and they pinpoint those cells to destroy the unhealthy cells. I guess that's what judgment is. The destruction of all that brings pain and hardship and affliction and grief and sadness and sickness in this world. If you want the world that is, uh, the world that you want, something has to be done about the world that is. About all the sin, about all the injustice, about all the greed, about all the pride, it has to be laid low and dealt with. And so must also those who set their hearts on those things. It would be absolutely unloving of God to let evil go unchecked for all of eternity. That would never be the world that any of us want. So we fear the wrong thing. We end up fearing the judgments of men rather than the judgment of God. Now here's a question. Does God want us to feel this fear of judgment? Yes. Does he want us to live in this fear of judgment? And the answer is no. And that's the good news this morning. As we keep kind of un. Furling this text and here's here's what john says the amazing thing that john says he Says that if you want to be free of all these other little fears Right, you have to learn to fear the right thing Right in fact before we move on listen to what john listen to what isaiah says at the end of that text I read you through verse 21 of isaiah 2, but listen to what he says in verse 22 He says on the heels of everything of the day of the lord that's coming all the judgment that's coming He says this in verse 22 stop regarding man In whose nostrils is his breath for of what account is he? this is who God is and what he will do why are you afraid of the judgments of all these other people who are around you and then John says this listen as he goes forward he says listen there's a way to face the day of judgment with confidence because what God intends for you to do is to live with a confidence before the day of judgment. He wants you to, yes, to feel the fear, but He doesn't want you to live in the fear because the aim of love, listen church, is the extermination of your fear. That's the aim of love. The aim of God's love for you is that your fear would be exterminated. Now listen, we have an exterminator that comes to the house every once in a while, right? About once a quarter or so, they show up with their truck and their spray and they walk around the ex- external, outside of the house and they spray granules and they spray the weep holes, right? To drive out Right, all the things that are trying to find a safe and comfortable and warm and dry place to live. Right, those of us who are little naturopaths, we might walk around with some essential oils and squirt them up there in the wee holes and all that kind of stuff. Right, but listen, so the, the purpose of the exterminator when they show up is to drive out those things that would seek to do us harm. Right, every once in a while just, we, I walk out of the bedroom and I see a spider crawling across the living room floor. And my kids and my wife are like standing on they're climbed up on top of the cabinets and they're on the on the tables and the couches and I gotta take my shoe and crush it, right? And I I I pick it up in the napkins like, you know, this big and so I go and throw it in the trash can, right? Because we don't want spiders in our home. We don't want all kinds of beetles and worms and creepy crawly things crawling around on us at night. So the exterminator comes, but when he comes, he comes with this expressed purpose, this aim, this intended goal of driving out all the things that are detrimental to us in our home and preventing future colonies from moving in and taking up residence there, right? So we like the exterminator. Right, and the reality is what God's, the aim of God's love is to exterminate our fear. It's to drive it out. It's the same thing that's true of the exterminator It's true of God's love. See, the word perfected in verse 17 of the text that we're in this morning so literally means this. It means to accomplish its aim, its end, or its goal. You see, what God desires for His children is not that you live paralyzed by the fear of judgment. And you live in it. You feel the weight of it, but you don't live paralyzed by it. He says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if you're still living in fear, John says, of future punishment, it's evidence. Of the fact that love is not being perfected in your life. Now when we think of perfect, we typically tend to think of, of, of without flaw, or without blemish, or absolutely, right, on spot every single time. But that's not how the word's being used here. It's being used to describe this fulfillment of its intended task or its intended goal that it's having an effect in your life and it's producing something within you. That it's producing confidence and it's driving out and dispelling and exterminating your fear. That's what John says is the goal of God's love. It's what it's aiming at in your life. In fact, the word "cast out" in verse eighteen can literally mean this—to turn out of the doors. It's like a metaphor, right? To turn it outside. I started thinking about this, and I was like, "Man, it's kind of like a parent who's trying to get things accomplished in the house." Whoo! And they got these just unruly children who are just everywhere. Like all the neighborhood kids are just running in, around inside. you got 17 kids running in your 2,000 square foot home. Right? You're trying to cook dinner. You're trying to clean. You're trying to right, get things ready for family, get things ready for Christmas. And all the kids in the neighborhood are just running through your living room, screaming and shooting Nerf guns right? and playing music on their Bluetooth speakers. And you just can't even think. So what do you say? You say, you guys go play outside, right? Go play outside so I can think, so I can concentrate, so I can focus. In fact, you may even go and you open the door and you're like, come on people, right? You just start hurting herd, them outside, into the backyard, right? Into the field, across the street, right? And so go play out there. And John says, that's what love does to fear. It opens the door and it ushers it out. Sends it outside. That's its intended goal. Is to exterminate it. To usher it out of your life. So listen, if you're still living in fear of God's punishment falling upon you at the day of judgment, then John says, then the love of God is not having its effect in your life. It's not producing confidence within you. Because you have not yet been persuaded, as he says in verse 16, you have not yet come to know and believe the love God has for us. So what do we do with this? i get two things briefly as we close. The first one this morning, if you want to have a year of no fear in 2019, you learn to fear the right things, you see see God's love being perfected and driving fear out of your life. That fear of judgment, that fear of punishment is being pushed away, opening the door, sweeping it out, and slamming it shut. Not that you do that to your kids. Just to fear. But listen, if you're going to know and believe the love of God has for us, here's two things this morning. What we need to do first, first, you need to be assured of God's love for you. You need to be assured of God's love for you. Listen, the assurance that you need is like the assurance that a child has. when a child is assured of the love of their father or the love of their mother, it gives them a great sense of confidence to move out into the world, doesn't it? Right? I, was, I was thinking about um, little Brooklyn Ehlert up here on the stage at Christmas Eve service. Right? And she was sitting right here next to Amanda and Amanda's reading the story. And I could tell Brooklyn's loved. I could tell she knows she's loved in her home and loved by her parents and loved by her family because she is just unashamed right, to speak forth in front of all you people who are out there in the audience. right, as She just blurted out, in the barn is where Jesus was born. Right? She has this confidence about her. right, And a part of that is, is, is just comes from the love that she feels within her home, from her mother and her father. Right? When a child is assured of their love that they have in their home, it gives them a confidence to move out into the world. When they're not assured of that love, they get riddled with insecurities. They get riddled with insecurity. And they always see the discipline that comes to them from their parents as punishment Right? The consequences they face is punishment, not as discipline to redirect, but as punishment to keep them down. And listen, if, if you don't have an assurance of love, then you will always look at God as this cruel judge and not as a loving father who has lavished you with love. So you have in verse 16, we read, so that we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God in Him. And John's drawing a conclusion on everything that he said previously. When he says that word, so, right, it's pointing back something else he said, right? So, here's here's the conclusion to everything that I'm saying to you, right? Here's how you can know and believe the love God has for you. There's two ways, John says. First, you see it through His Son. You see it through His Son. In verses 14 and 15, He says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. John says, We have seen, we are witnesses of the fatherly love of God. That God did not withhold His Son, His one and only Son, whom He loved. Even when you think about Abraham back there in Genesis, whenever God calls Abraham to bring his son to the mountain, and he brings him up to the mountain, and he lays him down upon the altar, he stacks the wood, lays him upon the altar, lights the fire, and raises his hand to slay him, and God says what? Stop! And there's a ram caught in the thickets. And whenever God speaks to Abraham, he says, Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. And listen, church, the only way that you will ever be assured of God's love is if you can look at God and say, God, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. But instead, you freely gave him. And you not only brought him to the place of sacrifice, but you actually carried it through. He was beaten and broken and bloodied for me, for you. His life was, breath was drawn from his body and his life came to an end for us. You see it in the person of Jesus Christ. You see it in God's Son. You be, and you're assured of the fact that He loves you. But not only do you see it in His Son, but you experience it through His Spirit. You experience it through His Spirit. Look what He says in verse 13. He says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. You know, the Holy, one of the things the Holy Spirit does in our lives is He takes things that are true, and He makes them real. Right? You can know right, that it's true that in Hispanic cultures, they take siestas, okay, right, you travel down into Mexico and, uh, or to Latin America, and right, after lunch, maybe they go and kind of retire for a moment and rest, and they come back out and kind of finish up their labor for the rest of the day. You can know that's true, and you're like, man, did we ever mess up in America, right? We give kids in kindergarten siestas when they don't want to sleep, and then when we do want to sleep, whenever we're 41, we can't sleep because everybody expects us to be working. Uh, you can know that there's other cultures that do things differently than we do. You can read about that in a book, but it's another thing whenever you actually travel to that culture and you experience that firsthand. You see, you, could, you and I can know all day long that God is love. John tells us that multiple times in First John. But what the Holy Spirit does is He takes what is true about God, that He is indeed love, and He makes it real in your life so it's like fireworks going off at times. Or do you ever find fireworks going off in your soul on certain occasions whenever the love of God once again becomes real because the Spirit has taken something that is true, shown the spotlight and illumined that truth in your life and all of a sudden it becomes vibrant. It goes from being in black and white to being in 4K high-def color. It goes from being true to being real for you and your experience and those two things cross over. Right? It's, like, it's like 3D glasses. You're looking through one side and you see one image. You're looking through the other side you see the other image. You bring those two things together in your field of, v- of vision and all of a sudden it pops off the screen. That's what John's referring to. He says God's given us of His Spirit to take these things that are true and make them real. And listen, when those moments take place, when the Spirit takes something that's true and makes it real, And you see the beauty of Jesus afresh and anew in your life again and again and again and again and again In spite of all of your sin, in spite of all of your failure, in spite of all of the judgments of men in your life, and in spite of all the judgments that you render upon yourself when you look in the mirror, your heart begins to erupt because the Spirit is doing what the Spirit does. Be assured of God's love for you. That yes, while you deserve judgment, God sent his son to be the savior of the world, John says. And in John 15, 12, he says, There is no greater love than this. And a man lay down his life for his friends. And John says, Jesus, Jesus says, all of his disciples who are gathered around, he says, and you, you are my friends. See, are you assured of God's love for you? Or are you still living as in doubting? If you're still doubting God's love for you, then his love is not being perfected in you. And you're not stepping forward with more and more and more confidence into this world as you approach the day of judgment. The second thing, and I'll make this one quick, because we hit on it back before we finished this series, or or when we kind of pushed pause on this series, was this. Not only do we need to be assured of God's love for you, but you need to be active in your love for others. Look what John says further down in verses 20 and 21. He says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And between verses 20 and 21 and then what lies before it in verses 17 and 18, John makes a statement in verse 19. He says, we love because why? He first loved us. So out of this experience of God's love, as we're assured of it, it moves us out to be active in our love towards others in very real and practical and tangible ways. If you were here back at the beginning of, of or end of November when we pushed pause on this series, you remember me talking about four ways, We well probably don't because you've had Christmas since then, but four ways in which we demonstrate our love for others. Love, it's a sacrificial love that we lay aside our lifestyle We love indeed and truth with our discretionary time, discretionary income. We're giving it away to bless those who are around us, to show love and demonstrate it to those who are around us. We lay aside our pride in order to encourage and affirm other people. Whenever we see them excelling, we don't grow in jealousy over their giftings, but we affirm how well they serve, how well they teach, how well, they, well how they administer, how well they sing, how well they do. Whatever it is that God has gifted and equipped them to do, we don't sit back and say, gosh, God didn't give me those gifts, so I must not be important. So I'm just going to be jealous of them because they got those gifts and they got that platform and I didn't. But I'm going to affirm and encourage those things. We've got to lay aside our pride to do that. Got to lay aside your liberty and sometimes setting aside what you are free to do in Christ in order to serve those who would be in bondage by doing the same things that you're engaged in. See, our our liberty should be regulated by our responsibility to our brothers and sisters. And then fourth, you might remember that we have to lay aside our comfort. Because sometimes, sometimes loving others means that we lean in with truth in love. And we say things that they may not want to hear. Say things that may be hard for them to hear. That may be hard for them to palate. Hard for them to swallow and take in. But we speak the truth in love at times. So that, if you remember my illustration from a few months ago. It's been a while. So I may have to give it again, but we don't have time instead of being a, a orthotic, it helps support dysfunction. Then you become a thumb that helps work through the dysfunction and restore the body to health. These are all ways that we can love others actively around us. See, in 2019, if you want it to be a year of no fear, you're going to learn to fear the right things. And then allow God's love to accomplish its desired end in casting out fear, opening the door, sweeping it out, exterminating it. And the way that it does that is whenever you are assured of God's love for you and active in your love for others. What might God do in the next 12 months in your life? if there was an assurance and an activity that was pervasive day after day after day after day after day. My hope would be that maybe 12 months from now we can sit back and celebrate and give praise for what God has done as we step out in confidence into this world Approaching the day of judgment with no fear. Because God's love is doing what God's love does. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, as we look forward into another year, that you will, by your grace, give us life and breath and all things. That in this year, Father, that we might live and move and have our being in you that in this year that we might be assured more deeply of your love for us and your Son. That in this year we might be more active in our love towards those who are around us. Be better encouragers. We be better truth-tellers. That we might be better um, responsibility-keepers. Father, that we might be better sacrificers and laying aside those discretionary resources you've given us of time and money to serve others well. That we would not love in word or tongue but with actions and in truth. And that as we're more and more assured of this love that you have lavished upon us in your Son by sending Him to be our Savior, that we be more active in our love towards others. And that through that, your love would be sweeping fear out of our lives because we no longer fear judgment. We no longer live in fear of your judgment and because that ultimate judgment does not threaten us then all the other smaller judgments that we make on ourselves and others make on us are nothing to us. So we can live free from fear. We pray in Jesus' name.